Hello. 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 Welcome to another Rehab Tech Talks podcast. Who's here? I am. And me? And me. So that's Peter. Gordon. <laughs> what a lovely introduction. <laughs> so we're talking this time about what Facebook announced at their F8 developer conference last week and what Google announced at their IO developer conference this week. Um, and it also marks a bit of a milestone for this podcast because our very first one was roughly a year ago where we were talking about the very same things, but not exactly the same things. Mm, slightly different variants on the same topics, which is going to be a running theme from the podcast from now on. So basically you only listen, need to listen to one. The rest is the Don't same. Don't tell them that. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah, it's super exciting though. Uh, I don't know, I have the impression that, that this FA and I was slightly more exciting than last year's. Maybe maybe I'm a more excitable person than I was a year ago. Yeah, I think I, I think certainly IO, I'd agree with you. I think F8 was maybe a little bit more... Subdued. Yeah, they've been a bit chastened probably mm. by what's been the, the conversation. Um, have you been following any of that, Rosie? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to read my notes. Say that again. How do you feel about, you know, your data potentially being harvested without your consent? I know that's a few years back now, rules have changed. I feel like people are really, really stressed about it and I'm not that stressed about it. Right. And um, I don't know if that's just maybe because I'm being really naive. I know I spoke to Rob the other day, our CEO, and he was telling us that if you fill in a form on Facebook and you click like send at the end in the fine print a lot of the time you're then giving them access to like all your friends data as well which that well, made me feel facebook kind of already have your friends data right because that's that's the, the their open graph their social graph is, is all built around knowing what you do and what your friends do it's what makes you so valuable to advertisers yeah but for example like i don't think i explained myself so if you for example if you did like a survey for a brand on facebook that brand then gets the information of all your friends. Ah, right, that's what used to happen. Yeah, that's what they actually closed that down a couple of years ago because because it was sort of being abused. But the whole kind of scandal that's happened recently has been because an app that had that data from a couple of years ago um, had not correctly deleted it when they were supposed to and were selling it to other people and all that kind Mm. of stuff. So they were sort of taking advantage of what Facebook used to offer but no longer do. So a new company wouldn't be able to do that anymore, but they still had access to that data from a while ago. But perhaps it's indicative sorry to cut you off there, Rosie. No, no, okay. Perhaps it's indicative of their their kind of like whimsical attitude to people's privacy. Certainly Facebook's always been I know they're restricting it more and more. It's always been a platform where if you're developing on it, you know you can get all this. I can get you you join my app, I can get all of your friends' data without you or them knowing. Why so why is that that's so serious? To, that's how it used to be. It just it I don't know, maybe the the they're coming off as, as very responsible and humble now because previously they were like uh, what's the what's the expression? Fast and wild with everybody's data and didn't really act in any serious way to mm-hmm. kind of contain it. I know it's a social platform and that's what all these games and apps were taking yeah. advantage of, but there were many ways to exploit that. Yeah, I think in my in my opinion, what's what's been the what's caused the scandal is not so much that this is anything new, because it's not, it's from a couple of years ago, but it forces people to confront how much data they give over to, to companies that they don't necessarily think about. You know, you accept into the, the social media contract when you sign up to Facebook and you know that they're going to use your data and things, but sometimes it kind of gets shown back to you and then you suddenly realize how much they know about you. And I think for me, I think that's been 
some of perhaps the biggest reaction is people being confronted with this, not the fact that yeah. they're doing anything and new then, or specifically wrong. I think they, I think people feel like they Facebook have like exploited it and and maybe done something like behind their backs, which is. But also, it's like it's just as much our responsibility. Like I never read terms and conditions. When you read terms and conditions, you understand more. And like, or I know, for example, like me and all my friends would never ever read terms and conditions when we sign up to any social platform. But then we're the first ones to be like, "Oh, they've got all my data," and like, I just think it's a there's a burden of trust on yeah, that. To be fair, nobody reads terms and conditions. Yeah, yeah, but there's a responsibility. You can't like blame brands and blame companies for doing things and not read their terms and conditions you know depends on the intention of the brand doesn't it i mean what's the intention of the company how does facebook make money it's by selling advertising it's targeted mm. advertising so it is harvest harvesting is like i don't know stupid term but it is using your data and all the data of your friends and all the things that you're interested in and how many things you like to make it more attractive to advertisers to get at you and with uh, the US elections and Russian interference and fake news yeah. is, is also a backdrop to this. I think it's portraying Facebook as an irresponsible company that really only cares about its own revenues and not protecting your data. There's a there's a, like implicit trust whether you read the terms or not. I'm using this platform. I'm sharing personal pictures of my children, my friends. My That's all I've got, actually, children and friends. I used to have a wife and she left. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm sharing all this stuff. I, I have to trust that you're not going to abuse that or you're not going to sell that on there's, a, there's trust that's implicit otherwise I'll just stop using and I think that's where Facebook are at the moment they, they gave more they made the social graph more and more powerful and, and you know we as app developers were great that's fantastic I can share this with people's friends I can get more reach I can get more notice I can do all this stuff you know we were asking for it we wanted it Facebook were happy to give it to us I think the problem was that they never they never really figured in bad actors into this idea. They never figured in the idea that maybe people are not gonna be using this just for good. And um, and that's, I think, what's been sort of brought home to them recently is, yes, the, the bigger and more open the system you build, the bigger and more open it is to abuse as well as building really, really good stuff. I mm. think what is interesting though is the kind of the flip side of it. And it's like, if if we are getting all of this, if companies are getting all of these this data, from people, how can we use that data to do good things like in medicine or like in healthcare? Like we, it doesn't have to just always be used for like bad things. I and completely I think agree, in a yeah. way, it's, it's a good thing like that you're getting so much data if it is something that's gonna help you. Data is powerful, mm. it's very powerful, it's valuable. Um, but I think this sort of showed that the value exchange was a little bit one-sided at yeah. times. Um, but anyway, back to kind of... Ooh, it's a controversial <laughs> start to the podcast there, wasn't it? But I think that sort of showed slightly in Facebook's presentation because right. in the recent weeks, they've closed down a lot of APIs. They've restricted mm. a lot of APIs. They've made it harder for you to find out this type of data about people. And I think in F8, that was kind of quite noticeable. There were no big new announcements about the social graph. Yeah. There were no big new announcements Um uh, they, they were widely known to have been trying to launch a kind of an Echo or Google Home competitor. And obviously the idea of you putting a Facebook camera and microphone in your house right yeah, now no is just unthinkable. Mm. So they've had to push that back until later in the year. And I, I think that kind of came through in, in a slightly subdued F8 this year. And they made a big thing about clearing your history on Facebook. and stuff, Yeah. So. I mean, uh, again, to go back to that slightly, like they have always had very good privacy controls but the problem was they never really made a big deal out of them they never really let you know they were there and they required you to be quite sophisticated or you know a, a 
probably a power user to be able to use them. For most people, as you said, Rosie, you don't read terms and conditions, you don't go in and you don't check your privacy and what's being shared all the time. You click yes to all the defaults and off you go. I literally just click agree. Again, yeah. I don't even read And most it. people do. And like, that's what I think's interesting about it is it's typical of like human behavior for everyone to moan about things and say how awful everyone is. And what they have done is bad. I'm not trying to defend them, but I just don't think there's a responsibility on our side to, to be reading what we're giving away. Yeah. So let's talk about what they did announce. So FA. Facebook announced something really cool, which I thought was really cool, which is a dating thing. Since t- since it got um, investors got involved, I think Tinder shares have gone down or something. So people are really excited about it. But you basically you can't date your friends, but you opt into it, and you it tells you about like obviously you build a profile around like the things you like, the things that you watch, and blah blah blah, and then it connects you with other people like your friends, friends. Yeah, I mean that's one thing obviously that Facebook can do probably better than most yeah. people is no. Not, I think if you go on Tinder or you go on dating sites, and I have to disclaim this by the fact that I've been married for a very, very long time, and I don't really and know. And I've actually never used a dating site. Really? No, never, never used Tinder or anything like that? Never. Um, but I think, you know, people, Some people are so attractive, they just don't need to. <laughs> people go on there and they say what their interests are. Oh, I like yachting and horse riding and all this stuff. And and what, what Facebook have as the advantage is they know what your actual likes mm. are, you know, sitting in front of Netflix for three hours and, and eating kebabs mm. you know but with the stuff you don't say generally uh, when you're trying to make a big profile facebook know a lot more about that you than that so they can probably get better at probably finding real matches well that's going to be interesting so let's say i sit around on my ass every night eating kebabs and watching netflix which, which i you, which i do yeah um if you were to pair me with somebody who sits around every night for three hours <laughs> eating kebab our children would be massive yeah. and exceptionally lazy so this is the interesting part for me about, as you say, Peter, like Facebook have all this data about your behaviours, what you like, what your friends, your political interests, all this stuff. Are they going to match me with someone just like me? I know I'm one of a kind. Thanks, Mum, for, for making me believe that. But um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be matched with somebody just like yeah. me. I don't want an opposite. You know, couples tend to have complementary skills. So how, you know, and does machine learning come into that? Possibly. That's, that's I, think, I can't remember who I was discussing this with. It might even have been you. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, possibly they'd be able to say, well, Yes, we, you know, on the face of it, that would be enough to, to put you into in touch. But in fact, they also have a lot of data about people who are married, couples mm. who are married, the things that they do and don't do. The thing, you know, they, so they might even have be able to build up a better profile of, of what it is that successful couples have in common. Yeah, it's like that Black Mirror episode. It is a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah. Scary. When you get <laughs> when you get a countdown of how long you're spending yeah. together when you, when you first start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, super interesting. I mean, like, imagine all the data they've got and training a bunch of models and just suggesting to you, and it might even be able to break people out of abusive relationship cycles. Maybe I'm getting too far now, but yeah. for example, the, the people, yeah, women who date far. men that are bad for yeah. them but find that attractive, yeah. and Facebook says, you want this person, you might, I don't normally, and then you might get married and have children, and then Facebook would own them. One, one thing I would hope they do is, you know, having, is learn the lessons of the last year or so and investigate this for how it could be abused. Mm. Like, how could this be used for bad? And like, really, you know, whether it's creating negative personas and testing those in the system or what, but you know, how could this, this is obviously people's relationships. It's a thing that's very personal. And we've seen in the last few years how anything can become an attack vector. So I would hope that they've really taken that into account and, and, um, and you know, have put safety checks and, and balances in place. 
Anything else from F8 that you thought? Oh, there's so much more. We've only scratched the surface, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, the biggest, um, biggest and most exciting for me was all the AR stuff. Mm. I know you're personally very interested in AR as well. Um, so talk about maybe AR or the camera effects platform in Messenger. Yeah, this is super exciting for us as a business and for me as an individual. Um, uh, because I, I love messing around with um, AR stuff and VR stuff. But um, the problem we've had with many of our current clients, we've done a bunch of prototypes in our hack weeks, showing some cool things you can do in AR. And they've said, this is excellent. I would love to buy it. How do I get it? Can we put it on the web? No, it's not quite there yet. Um, it has to be a native app. And at that point, they switch off and there's app fatigue. Nobody wants to do any campaign or service-based app. And nobody wants actually to integrate with their existing app, which may be legacy code as a third party that runs it. So it's been a source of friction in terms of selling selling AR experiences. And now with AR being in Messenger that billions of people have, I just made that up. 1.5 billion. And also perhaps it coming to Lens, uh, coming to Assistant via Lens later in the year, hopefully that happens, um, this suddenly democratizes AR and everybody's got it in their pocket. A bit like QR codes now being democratized, everybody's got it in their pocket. Then suddenly we'll see the uptake uh, go through the roof, hopefully, and we'll be able to create some really compelling experiences in the environments that people are currently in. It's interesting because when you made that one for um, one of our clients, and if I'm allowed to say, um, it was really, it was great. And when I watched it, I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Mm. And then I saw that you had to like open up a camera inside a different app. And I was thinking, I would never do that. That's precisely why they didn't buy it. Yeah. And precisely why they were, um, well, precisely why people like Snapchat are, are so interesting to, to companies like that at the moment. It's being a dominant yeah. platform where everybody is and AI is built in. Yeah. And Snapchat yeah. charge a very large premium for you to build stuff on their platform. Mm. Um, I mean, you can build your own stuff and distribute it yourself, but in order to be in that sort of prime spot where everybody wants to be, it's it's not cheap. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, we were experimenting with Lens Studio. It's quite restrictive. You can put little characters and play around a bit, but as soon as you try and hook up different services or do something bespoke that a brand would like, you need to go and talk to them and then you need to pay big bucks. Yeah. But in Messenger, as you said, so this makes it nice and easy. So instead of having to download a new app to do something in AR, you just connect to their bot on Messenger. So that's good for Facebook. It's good for people who already have Messenger. Uh, it's good for us because it gets it into more pockets. I guess the, the slight drawback is then you have to use Facebook's AR studio. You can't, again, as you just said, you can't just go completely off the wall and build mm. what you want. You have to work within their parameters. But I think you can still do interesting stuff in there. For sure, yeah. And I think we've discussed this many times. Indeed, on this podcast, AR has been a big topic of discussion. But uh, moving away from the gimmicky uses, such as I've got some new shoes and look at the new shoe box, there's my virtual shoe on top, and, and to actual real real world uses yeah. of, of AR in an environment they're in is a big thing, isn't it? And we've seen that in the Google uh, uh, Maps Yeah, definitely. Stuff That's well. really cool. Um, shoppable posters, I think, are a really nice idea. Like location-specific things, like like Snapchat did with the Jeff Koons project where you have to go to a specific place to see something is a really nice idea. Um, but of the four launch partners they announced, like I would say three of them were sort of look at a new pair of shoes, look at a new car, look at a new phone. But it's like, nah, all right, fair enough. The one that I thought was really useful is um, Sephora, who've done like a makeup try-on service. Now, again, for Sephora, that's an amazing distribution channel to be able to get, connect people to their messenger service and let them try and make up yeah that was amazing um anything else from facebook they've oh, yeah. launched an anti-bullying it's some kind of filter 
where if there's like people are saying really horrible things or nasty comments, there's some kind of filter that like okay. blocks it out, yeah. which I think is like a really, really cool thing mm. that they're doing because I think I have been watching a lot of Black Mirror recently and it's been scaring the life out of me. And I was thinking, God, what, like, so what are my kids going to have? Like, what are they going to be doing? And my little cousin's 13 and she's always on Instagram all the time and she was get, getting bullied and... I was just thinking, God, it's so horrible for them because their whole lives are Instagram mm. and like Snapchat and they're always on all the time. So I think it's as much as Facebook have been bad with this data thing, I think that's a really responsible thing that they're doing to, to like notice a problem like that and to try and... Yeah, at least at least back in my day, you could only bully one or two people at a time. <laughs> Yeah, now, now, now you can do it at scale. Yeah, that's right. I mean, double wedgie was the most I could do in my school as well. Yeah, no, it is a big problem uh, with teenagers, uh, particularly in our secondary schools, that the bullying just doesn't stop. Before, it would be at school. And maybe you could phone someone up and abuse them. But really, now with everyone with a device in their pockets and they're constantly like hooked up to, to Instagram, Snapchat, yeah. etc., the bullying just never stops. Yeah. And that can have and a really bad effect psychologically. it's probably more serious as well because I think... Well, maybe not more serious, but I think if you're behind a screen and you're being bullied and it's kind of cyberbullying, it's a lot more isolated situation. You're on your own. Mm. And like, I don't know if that makes it worse, but I think in terms of kind of... I think, it, I think it's, it has the potential to kind of embolden the bullies as well by not having to actually step up to your face and say things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a nice idea to be able to do that. And I know Google have been working on something similar for... Um, for comments, website comments, to try and filter out kind of abusive and nonsensical comments and just leave and surface the good things. Um, I think, you know, I don't think it's foolproof, but even if it eliminates, you know, 75% of the problem, that's a, that's still a massive step, which is really nice. Instagram are also launching a video chat. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, video chat's going into all of Facebook's yeah. properties now. WhatsApp are getting video chat, Messenger has it, Instagram has it, Facebook, you know, video and stories and... I think there's a bit of a platform convergence going on in all of their properties mm. of sharing a, a very similar set of features. Yeah. Is that why the WhatsApp guy resigned? Yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, that, that definitely they're trying to converge all their platforms, keep the features the same and enable sharing across it, I guess, to make it more attractive yeah. to advertisers. To advertisers, <laughs> yeah. pretty much, yeah. Um, Sweet, yeah. Um, what else? Talk about your 3D VR reconstruction. Uh, yeah, it's a thing that, that's super exciting to me and it seems only me at the moment, but the, the 3D photos that are soon coming to Facebook are, are super exciting. Um, they announced it at last year's FA and, and technically the way it's constructed is really cool. Um, you just get a conventional smartphone and, and do like a, a 360 of where you are and then you use image processing techniques, a bunch of super clever ones to kind of recreate that in 3D. Uh, and, and make like a basic mesh. But what that gives your photos and panoramas is it gives it kind of a parallax effect, kind of a pseudo 3D effect from just a standard uh, camera, which is really, really smart. Um, shows how far we've come in terms of uh, like vision technology. I remember yeah. this time last year, we were excited about what I was excited, I was wrong, about Tango, Project Tango, which was Google's um, project to like map indoor spaces by uh, doing like laser stuff and actually mapping uh, what's in there by you know sending someone getting it back and making a mesh of the objects in the room is that was seen as necessary a specific device with specific extra hardware to try and bounce things off things to make a 3d map of where you are now computer vision wizardry has got so good that that's almost not talked about anymore yeah i mean it still becomes better with multiple cameras but you can sure. do it all through software which mm. is what 
Google have done with the Pixel and, and Google's AR compared to Apple's AR yeah. uses software to replicate that 3D mm. environment. Yeah, so that's going to be super exciting. And people aren't talking about that much. There's, there's also a point cloud thing that you can experience in VR, which uses the same technology. Just the ability to extrude. I guess the uh, machine learning will come into it. They must have trained it on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. It always comes into it. But it's super clever how it does it. And I'd be excited to use it and just experience like places and memories in groups in a more immersive way. It doesn't necessarily have to be in VR, but just even in like a pseudo 3D way on, on a TV would be really nice. Yeah, and I think you know VR is still a big deal for Facebook. Mm. They still made quite a lot of it in, uh, on, in the keynote. They've just released their first standalone VR headset, which means you don't need to tether it to a PC and you don't need to stick your phone in the front. It's basically phone components distributed around a VR headset. So it's lighter, it doesn't overheat. You don't need to take any extra steps to use it. Um, that's the Oculus Go, I think. Yeah, that's right, so, $200 or £200. Direct one's one conversion, it's how currency works. Yeah, which is, so I think, you know, that's potentially, if VR's gonna have a moment, it might be kick-started by this. Yeah, there's a bunch of other standalone ones coming on there. Yeah, Google have got a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, I love VR, creating stuff in VR, playing in VR, but it is isolating. And, and Facebook are trying to work work towards it being less so, right? There's a bunch of social yeah. features they're pushing. Um, yeah, and you're right. I love VR as well when I use it, but I very rarely, because it's Dude. such a faff to mm. use it, because I have to get my headset and my phone and charge the controller and apologize to my wife that I'm going to be sitting next to her waving my arms around for the next five minutes, five, ten minutes, because that's how long it will be until my phone overheats. So at the moment, all of that stuff just makes it not a valid or an easy thing to do. So maybe this will work. Yeah, and I guess, well... I'm really excited about the XR stuff, like Magic League Glass. I know we're not talking about that, but that, that would see the convergence of AR and VR in, in a, like, a wearable that's not embarrassing and, and is convenient. That, that's when we might really see an explosion of... Because VR is just kind of shutting off the world, and that is a problem, isn't it? Yeah, the when, isolation of VR is still still and always probably will be, yeah. at least to a certain degree, a problem. Yeah, so with, so with the mixed reality stuff, that, that will eliminate that. Uh, and that might be super exciting. But yeah, there's, there's use cases where they're trying to encourage people to watch Netflix together, which I guess if me and my wife only watch programs together when she's there because she likes to choose slightly disappointing things to watch. But I guess if she was living in America for a couple of months, maybe we'd do that, like have that shared experience of watching something together that we only watch together. Home's under the hammer in VR. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, I don't know what it is. I'm watching it. It's like uh, Nordic crime things, but we've gone through all the good ones now with the slightly disappointing ones. Have you used? Have you ever felt the desire to see something in VR, Rosie? No, I hate VR. That's, oh, I can, bold. I'm, I'm not quite sure that's true because I've got a video of you using a VR headset for the first time. Yeah, and you're going, and you're going, and you're going, wow, wow, it's amazing. So I think I can actually disprove that. No, I actually really don't like it. I don't like the concept of it. Like, I think it's good if it's like a gimmicky thing that you kind of go almost like when you go to a museum and you see an exhibition like we went to the google pixel exhibition last week in salvages and it was really exciting there's all these different rooms with these experiences and i think you know going to a place and having an experience like that is really interesting as an exhibition i think bringing it into your homes having it in your everyday life is something that i don't like what about seeing, like, what about if someone, so say ABBA, ABBA this year are doing a comeback tour mm -hmm. just in VR. So they're only going to be appearing, you have to put on a VR headset and you watch, you get to watch, and they've scanned all the ABBA characters and they've done 
uh, volumetric motion, motion capping and all this stuff so you'll be able to watch a virtual avatar because they're not going to do a physical but then this is, this is my point that's a little bit like for example how many times do you go to a music gig really like not even I'm the wrong month, person to ask like not I mean maybe you do yeah I'm because I'm super cool maybe once a month once every few months it's a it's an experience that you go and you're like I'm going to go to a gig and I'm really excited it's mm. something different and you go to an exhibition I'm really excited it's something different I don't necessarily think VR is a bad thing at all I think it's good if it's giving you a new experience I don't like the idea of bringing it into your home and watching it every day using it every day I think it's isolating and not a social thing and I'm a social person so I don't like it You've been watching Black Mirror again, haven't you? I just don't... I just really find it a strange thing. Well, Black Mirror, it is no, weird, isn't it? Because it's, after the first five episodes, it's quite formulaic. Yeah, I was talking about VR. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right, let's move on and talk about what Google did, by contrast. Just a bit conscious of the time. Yes, uh, yes, Google. Well, I guess um, the AR stuff, there's a, there's a correlation there with uh, instant apps them uh, making instant apps more prevalent well not making them more prevalent making allowing you to have an AR view within an instant app preview on Android yeah which, which again, is really nice because it means you don't have to download an app mm. to get to AR yeah and if uh, Lens comes to assistant third party actions on Lens come to assistant at some point then we'll have like even more people uh, with yeah. AR at their fingertips in an environment they're used to and enjoy yeah so Google like this year didn't mention VR once like it was mm. notably absent not once last year they launched daydream then you launched the standalone headsets this year they didn't mention it at all whereas they did mention a lot about ar mm. um, and one of the really cool things in ar that they mentioned as well was the um the cloud cloud anchors, anchors. yeah just said so, it carefully yes so a cloud anchor for the uninitiated yeah, cool. um is like when i hold up my phone my phone <laughs> <laughs> okay cloud anchors um, a cloud anchor is when you when you're using AR you kind of wave your phone around and it builds a little picture of your environment so it finds flat surfaces and it finds the distances between things so that it can anchor digital objects in the real world which is really useful for, for you um, but then if your friend comes along and points their phone at the same place they're building their own individual model of it and then the digital object that they see is not going to be in exactly the same place as the digital object you see so if I reach out my hand and sort of pat my little digital pet on the head, you might see my hand six inches to the left patting nothing on the head, for example. So with Cloud Anchors, I can upload that data of my environment to the cloud, and then you can come along and download that same data to your phone, and we synchronize those meshes, and it enables us to see exactly the same thing in exactly the same place in exactly the same state, which is a really, really cool thing. You can also wear the same trousers as well if you want to. Um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting in terms of making AR more social, isn't it? The idea that you're seeing what I'm seeing, but just from a different perspective. Yeah. You can imagine lots of game uh, implications for that, or even like, you know, virtual muse museum stuff, which, which happens quite a lot, just to experience something uh, from different viewpoints and share it. It's going to open up a whole new wave of AR apps, I would hope. Yeah. yeah I'm certainly very keen to play with it. We've, we're... Our head of Strat's going to see a client in the States in a couple of weeks. And uh, next week, hopefully we'll do some prototyping with it because it's available right now, the Cloud Anchors. Yeah. Yeah, on iOS and Android, so. Which is even cooler. Yeah, so AR was a big thing for them. Google Lens is a big thing for mm. them. Some nice new features. We've talked before about using um, 
visual search to mm. find clothes, get clothes recommendations. That's now coming to Google Lens as well, which is really nice. Um, the real-time camera stuff is interesting, isn't it? And, and text capture. So up till now, you've had to take a snap of something to, to get information about it. But now you can hold up a live camera feed from Lens and see the world augmented with labels and copy and paste text from stuff in your environment. So it's becoming a lot more seamless. Yeah. And it will be a lot more intuitive and natural. And I see that in Maps, they're doing AR directions as well. So AR can... directions is really cool. So mm. you've had this problem before, I'm sure, where you, you come out of a tube. This is the example they gave. You come out of a tube station, you open your map, and it says, right, go go left or go east or whatever. And you look around, you go, well, I, wow. I don't know which yeah. one that is. And so you start walking down the street, and your little blue dot starts moving. And you go, oh, actually, no, that's the wrong oh. way. And you turn around and come back. So with the new Google Maps using AR, you'll be able to hold up your phone, wave it around, it'll recognize where you are and then show you the direction you need to walk in, which is really nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and they're trying to make maps more social, aren't they? Make it easy to share your location, to do group activities there. Maps is now seen by Google as a platform. Yeah, taking on people like Yelp and Foursquare, I guess. So um, basically users can now pick from six additional natural, natural sounding voices. So rather than just, I feel like at the moment there's two, right? There's a yeah. woman and a man. Yeah. It's going to be and six. And they are quite artificial sounding. They're, they're not yeah. bad, but they're still a bit artificial sounding. Yeah. And there's six new, na more natural sounding voices. And they're going to do like a little Easter egg with John Legend. So some of um, the questions that you ask, the answer will come back in John Le Legend's voice. Yeah, very nice. Quite a, a nice mm. little touch. And that'll be, that's not just for the elite, that's for ordinary people as well. Yeah. No, that would be, be interesting because he's a legend, isn't he? I also read that Amazon are working on ways to understand users' intent better. They're going to be like working on understanding the emotional tone of your voice, making more emote, like natural voices because there's been a... I read something actually the other day that says there's a lot of research around if the voice assistant has got like a natural voice and like you're having this conversation and the discourse is natural and feels like a real person it's actually a lot more of an effective communication than if you think you're talking to a robot mm, for sure yeah definitely for something to reply to you like it is seven o'clock or it's seven o'clock you know it's it makes a big difference mm. but i think the thing that's interesting about that is if you think about how you speak for example if you're speaking to amazon Alexa now or google home you would speak in like a very kind of clear concise way almost probably missing out some words whereas if the the assistant becomes very natural and speaks to you how you speak how many times do you use like kind of fillers and hmm and um and ah and if you think if you are speaking like that it, does that mean that the assistant is going to speak like that are they mm. going to use fillers are they going to understand yeah. your fillers mm. why are we making that noise mm -hmm. well that leads us very nicely into talking about google duplex did you see this no. Mm, the new Google apartment building program. No. Google Duplex is um, a new technology that, so say I want to book a restaurant, a table at a restaurant, yeah. but my restaurant is not on open table. They don't have any automated booking. They only take phone bookings, but I don't know that. So I say to my Google assistant, book a table for me for four people at 8 p.m. So what Google Duplex does is it makes, it's an artificial uh, agent that makes a phone call on your behalf. will actually ring up the restaurant and talk to the restaurant and ask it questions like, hey, do you have a table? And it's incredibly natural sounding. Do you have a table for 4 p.m. tonight for five people? And then the person replies. Should we do it now? Should we pretend to be? 
Well, we'll probably just cut in a thing, but you can do it if you want okay. to. Like, hey, do you have a table for five people? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It, it's hard to distinguish the synthetic voice from the real voice. Yeah. And this is, of course, the Turing test and all this and stuff the, about distinguishing humans and, and computers. The reason we sort of both, you didn't see it, but Gordon and I looked at each other and raised our eyebrows is because it does those things you're talking about. Instead mm. of, you know, when you when it needs to fill in time, if it needs to process something, it will say, hmm, or mm, mm-hmm, and like do those little confirmation yeah. noises, which makes it sound so much more human. Yeah, mm. but it's interesting because when we've been building chatbots and mm-hmm. we've been kind of writing the script, um, if you're gonna say something, you have to think of all the different ways that yeah. it could be said, right? So that's like a lot of manpower that goes in and I know that as it gets better and smarter, that'll be easier. But it kind of makes it even more harder if you're gonna start adding in lots of filler words like like and hmm and ah uh and dunno, like, it, yeah. It yeah. kind of feels like that's a long time in the distance. Well, it's a lot closer now after that duplex demonstration, which blew me away. And a lot of people, I think, I think it's more of a technical exercise that we can do this rather than, you know, the scary implications for it actually being released in the wild. But it's incredible how speech synthesis and intonation, speech in general is incredibly complex. You know, you know how humans speak and how they understand each other. It's exceptionally complex to speak like a human. Yeah, it's a big lesson we've learned, you know, from making bots for so long It's like, it's really, really, really hard to program a conversation. Yeah, it it's genuinely really hard. It takes a lot of work and a lot of investment. And especially in the English language as well, like we have so many words compared to other languages. We have like a lot more vocabulary. So, the Germans have only about four words, I think. <laughs> well, you would know, Gordon. We have such a wide kind of rich vocabulary. It's even harder sometimes because everyone says things in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I talk like this. You two have lost the plot. What are you talking about? There's been some good jokes in here, especially the sex interlude. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I enjoyed that most. I do. Um, let's talk about one more thing. Um, so the latest version of Android is announced, which generally is a bit like, oh, so what? But what's really interesting about this release is how much focus they're putting on digital well-being. Mm. About trying to actually make you use your phone less, which is a weird thing for a phone and operating system manufacturer to do. Um, but there's a lot of new features in this that are, that are intended to make you put your phone down to use it less. For example, you can set time limits on how long you use an app for. Um, if you say, only let me use Instagram for one hour a day. And then once you pass that one hour, it'll literally lock the app. And you can't just tap a button to unlock it. You have to go into the settings and turn that off. Um, there's a mode where you can go, called wind down, where you can say, all right, I go to bed at 12, so I wanna wind down from 11. And at 11, your phone goes gray and you know closes down, just like goes quieter, turns on notifications, and it's just sort of this calming thing to make you stop looking at your phone until the moment you sleep. Um, and there's a mode called shush, where if your phone is on a table face up and then you turn it face down, it recognizes that gesture and it cuts off all notifications, all incoming phone calls, except for ones that you've maybe whitelisted. Like, you know, no matter what happens, if my wife calls, I must speak to her. Oh, the other way around. Oh, the other way around. It's really clever. And I think they've really like tapped into consumer behavior there because I think as, especially as a millennial. Oh, I thought we were going to get through this podcast without (laughs) saying that. again. I thought we'd managed to do a whole podcast without that phrase coming up. I just like saying it. I feel like me and my friends 
we use tech all the time and we're quite sociable, blah, blah, blah. We all are like turning our phones off more, mm. you know, going out for dinner, putting our phones in the middle of the table and like the first one out of their phone has to buy everyone a shot or something. Like we're, we are making moves to try and use it less, especially when I'm around my friends. We're quite, we tell each other off now. We'll be like, yeah. get off your phone or we'll grab it out for each other's hands and put them on the shelf and things like that. And I think there is a move towards... Yeah, I think it depends. Like, I'm I'm not unhappy with my mobile phone use. I think I I, I you know I do tend to put it away a lot, especially especially because I have a watch, which kind of takes care of a lot of stuff for me anyway. Um, but I think it's nice to have those options available to you now, because yeah, some people do struggle a bit more with not being able to focus their attention on what's around them. That's giving people the choice. Hmm. So, for example, if you are like Peter and you feel like your your phone usage is fine. You don't have to do that. But there are definitely people, for sure, who feel like they're on it too much. And I think it's a nice trend set because, as I said earlier with my younger cousin, and she's so techy and she's constantly on her phone, all her friends are on her phone. And at schools now, they've had to start doing this thing where when you walk into the room, you put your phone in a basket because the kids are so centered around their smartphone. No, I can absolutely see the case for not allowing them in school. Yeah. At all. And I think that it's a nice thing to almost start start introducing that idea now because I actually think when those kids, when the 13 year olds now are adults, like I think it's scary how much they'll be on their phones. At least we've lived a life where we've experienced not having phones all the time. So we know what that's like. They'll be using AR glasses by then. It won't be a problem anyway. Yeah, I mean, maybe we've reached peak peak uh, you know phone usage in that sense there's, there's as peter says as watches they're a little more elegant in the way that they notify you now and technology will evolve maybe we've had the peak of like well when you when i commute into work every day everyone's just on their phones mm. could be an apocalypse outside everyone's just like I, mean, I don't see that as any different from everybody reading a book a copy of the yeah. metro or reading a book you yeah. know people yeah, yeah. aren't just looking at their phones they're doing things on their phones they're talking to friends they're reading stories they're reading the news they're catching up with some of them um, or they're just looking at Instagram. Or they're just hours. endlessly refreshing their social yeah. media. Um, but anyway, I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to see. You know, I think it's a very obvious reaction to the conversation of the last year anyway. Mm. So it's nice to see them making some acknowledgement of that and, and making moves to make that possible for people who feel that it is an impediment. The general trend is more control over how you experience this stuff. And especially as we go into like wearable devices, that'll become more important. Hopefully people will feel more empowered and control of the technology they've got and it will enable them to lead better lives and but not hamper their human relationships as well. Yeah, I think we did, you know, I think maybe you're right, we did sort of reach a, a zenith of like advertising, shouting at you and your phone blaring out notifications mm. and all these distractions. I think we had to kind of hit that point and then go, do you know what, this is a non-sustainable situation. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We went on a really long time this time. We did this because we were enjoying each other's chat and company. Yes. Had a really, really... really enjoyed your smell. Yeah, well... (laughs) Right, ta-ra! Right, thanks very much. Uh, We'll be back soon. Bye! Bye. Thanks, guys. That was a good one, wasn't it?